Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Milestone McKinney. My name is Chris. I'm the campus pastor here, and we are thrilled you've joined us this morning. I'm excited about starting our new series, Let's Talk Family. And, uh, but before we get into that, I just want to celebrate all that God did, not only last week at uh, Easter, but even uh, this morning during baptisms. But last week, I just want to tell you, thank you so much. We asked you, invite your friends, be here, be a part, serve. So many of you served, gave of your time, gave of your energy, gave of your efforts. Many that came up early uh, during the course of the week to help get the building ready and prepared. And it was an amazing weekend. We actually had the highest attendance we had ever had at Moston McKinney over our Easter services. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's good. God did amazing things. We had 18 people commit their life to Christ here last week, and uh, it was phenomenal. All of heaven rejoices. And, and just so you know, sometimes, again, Katie talked about this. We're one church, multiple locations, and so sometimes it can just feel like a number. But we're a part of something much larger, making an impact in the DFW area across all of our campuses. 389 people gave their life to the Lord this past week all across DFW. Yeah. That's something to be excited about, and it's amazing because you're here in McKinney, it's exciting, but lives are being impacted and changed in Keller, South Lake, North Fort Worth area, Hazlitt, the North Fort Worth area, and that's just the beginning of what God's called us to do as a church family, to reach people and build lives. So thank you so much for being a part of that. Thank you for your investment. Thank you for your time, for your effort, your prayers, and thank you for being a part of what it looks like to see lives and families impacted. Well, as we come into this series, I love this series. Uh, Pastor Jeff has been doing Let's Talk Family, these kind of family series for years. We as a church family have been doing this for years right after Easter. And it's significant because really this information, this content is probably the most downloaded, listened to content. Here's the reason why. Whether you knew this or not, you're all part of a family. Right, like, like you, you wouldn't be here, just as a little biology lesson, if you weren't part of a family, okay? All right, so we all, whether we like it or not, some of us, we love our family we came from. Some are like, can I trade them in? Okay, look, they, I get it, I know, okay? It's, it, it can be hard, but family is exciting and it's, it, as fun as it is, there can be challenges to navigate. And so we found this is so significant, and you may be wondering, why are we doing a series like this right after Easter? Well, we found that this is an area that we all want to grow in. We all want to get better. We all want to learn. And so when you look at it, there's a couple of reasons why we, we do a series like this. There, there's a couple of reasons why we found this is significant. It's important to take time to talk through this. And the first is this. This is really an area that we all care about. It's an area that we care about, but sometimes it's a little hard. It's hard for us because we, if, we, if we're not hitting the mark, if we don't really know what's, what's transpiring, if we don't know how to kind of grow in an area that we have a little bit of trouble, we don't want to look as though we have a problem. Right? I, I don't know about you, you know, we want to put on the face and we got it all together. We, we've got it figured out, you know. And, but the truth is, some of us, we have no clue, okay. And just so you know, we know you don't have a clue. We can tell, all right? I don't have a clue either. I right? just go, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. I need help. That's one of the greatest things you could ever do. It's challenging to navigate, right? But, but here's another reason. Can I tell you? Another reason we do this series is because seasons in family change. 
You go through different seasons. Some of you are newly married. Some of you aren't married yet, but you're still, you're a son, you're a daughter. You've got parents, you've got siblings. Some of you have young children. Some of you have teenagers. Some of you are empty nesters. I mean, the, the season of family changes. And you're never more reminded of this when you start listening to the things that your kids say. Okay, now Wendy and I, we've been in and around youth ministry for a long time. And being in and around youth ministry, you kind of hear kids and, like, the language that they use. And so, you know, I was like, I always felt like, you know, I'm kind of like, I'm in. Like, I know what's cool, right? You know, but at this point, I'm realizing I'm going to be 44 this summer. I'm not cool anymore. It's just, I don't know what's going on. And by the time you figure it out, you're like... They're like, Dad, that's not cool anymore, okay? Or, or students or some of the younger teen. I had to text Alex. I'll be honest. Full transparency. I'm like, Alex, what are words that are cool that I'm using that aren't cool anymore? And what's now in? I had to like, I need a pro tip. And he sends me a long description. So like, you know, you feel like you're catching on, right? You're like, hey, that's lit. And like, we don't say that anymore. Like, hey, goat. You know, like goat. I used to pet a goat. Wendy wants goats. Greatest of all time. Now that's not cool. We don't say it anymore. You know, bet. They're like, okay, that one still we can say, but what does bet mean? I don't know. Like, uh, like Texas Hold'em, I make a bet. What's going on? I've got whatever. No, no, no. Like, just try me. Like, watch. I can do this. You know, I kid you not. I heard my nine-year-old the other day. We're driving somewhere. She's like, Dad, that building looks sus. I said, what? <laughs> now, I have a slight speech impediment. I do have a little bit of a lisp. I was like, does my child have a lisp also? <laughs> What did she just say? Say that again. She's like, sus. Which apparently, and I can tell by your faces, you're like, what does that mean? Okay, you're in the same group I'm in. You have no clue what that means. Okay, it means like suspect, you know. It's like sketchy, doesn't look cool. I, I don't know. Like, you know, fake. I, was, I asked Alex. Alex was like, fake is where I was like, fake. Like, does fake mean fake now or is it not mean? I don't know. But just so you know, that's a great example of, Seasons and family change. You're like, just when you think you got it, it changes it up. And you're using a word that isn't cool anymore, Dad. We don't say that. Okay, well, okay. So now I'll go around and just, you know, just, you know, Dad pro tip here. Just take the words I say and just overuse them. So everywhere we go, I'm like, that's sus, sus, sus. You're sus. Don't be sus. I'm just trying to be cool. They're like, Dad, stop. Please, don't do that anymore. Okay. Seasons change. And so how do we navigate that? We do series like this because... Sometimes you feel like, I've got it figured out. I know what's going on. I, I finally, like, uh, we've been around some young couples who have young babies, and, and they're talking about, like, typically the first question, like, hey, how's sleep, right? It's like, do, are, there, are they sleeping? And they're like, oh, my God, sleeping through the night. Thank God. Some of you are in here, you're like, been beyond that. I'm past that. I mean, thank God. You know, but it's like every season, it's like a new revelation, right? But here's the, here's the third reason why we talk a lot about it and why we take time to, to do a series is because God talks a lot about it. It's a biblical principle. It's important. And, and God builds through families. It's a significant theme. All throughout the word of God, God builds around family. In fact, when you look Matthew chapter 19, verse 5, Jesus says this, and I'm going to read it to you. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, what Jesus is doing here in Matthew, he's referencing what God said in Genesis. God said, the two shall become one. Paul then later on in the book of Ephesians is referencing Jesus and God 
in what they were saying in Matthew and in Genesis. And he too says, the two shall become one flesh. What is that principle? It's not just simply the aspect and the principle of marriage. It's what that marriage creates. It's the byproduct of that marriage. What is it? It's family. And because of that oneness, because of the way God builds in that way, it's so important that we see the significance of oneness. Wendy and I do a lot of marriage counseling, a lot of premarital counseling, and we tell them, look, the ultimate goal is oneness. Whatever you're working through, whatever you're walking through, whatever challenge you have, the ultimate goal is not to be right. It's not to prove a point. It's not to get the other person to see from your vantage point. It's oneness. And you pursue oneness and what that looks like. Now, I understand some of you in here, you're like, okay, oneness, like, I, I'm, I, you know, maybe you're single again. You've gone through a difficult divorce. Maybe you're remarried. We have blended families in here. And I understand that. And God will utilize that. And God comes in. And he, it's amazing how in such a miraculous way, God can take two families and blend them together again. But recognizing that God's desire is not just simply, okay, us looking, God, here's what I want. Out. No, 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 God. I want to recognize, what do you bless? We all have challenges. We all make mistakes. But God's bigger than all of those things. Those don't define us. And those won't keep us from God's ultimate blessing on our life. Family is significant. It's significant. But here's the thing. What I've learned through the years this summer, Wendy and I will celebrate 20 years of marriage, having been in ministry for as long as we have, walked with families, uh, conversations, whatever season you're in. Married, not married, little ones, older ones, younger ones, empty nesters. Can I tell you, we all will experience tension and conflict in our relationships. Tension and conflict. Now, even me just saying those words, like, ugh. We, by nature, don't like tension. We don't like conflict. But every family has it. But here's the thing about tension. Tension doesn't resolve itself on its own. You've got to address it. Because the more that you kind of skirt it to the side, the more you try and overlook it, the more you try and ignore it, it only creates more anxiety, more frustration, which will then lead to conflict. Now, you can have conflict, and we're going to talk a little bit about this. How do I resolve conflict in a healthy way? But oftentimes, we don't resolve conflict in a healthy way. We avoid conflict. We, we push it away. We don't like it. And what begins to happen is we begin to build up resentment towards one another because of the conflict and the tension that we have. You see, we, we end up not having the conversation because we're fearful. Because the last time we talked about this particular topic, it ended up in World War III. I don't want to go there again. Or we don't talk about the conversation because I, I just I need to figure it out. I don't want to be a bother to my spouse. I don't want to put too much on them. But you can only take so much. And if you don't resolve conflict and you don't address the tension, it's going to explode in some form or some fashion. I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to James chapter 3. But before I get there, I'm going to look at James 4. I'm going to put James 4 on the screen for you. And you may wonder, where does this tension come from? Here's what God's word says. James 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? I mean, it's a pretty honest, simple question. I'll give you a little context and background about James and, and who he was here in just a minute. But, it, but what causes those things? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? I mean, it's pretty simple. Where does it start? That's not to say the other individual didn't play a part, didn't provoke, 
didn't make it harder for us to, to resolve or deal with the tension or the issue. But can I tell you what happens? It starts inside right here. And here's the thing. What happens is this, in, in counseling, and Wendy and I doing marriage counseling, and, and helping counsel people through life and issues, when you look in, in counseling in any form or fashion, if you've ever sat in a counseling session, typically the number one thing that people will want to do is identify what the other person is doing that's causing them to respond, react in the way that they are. But it doesn't matter whether that counselor has a biblical base or not, they're all going to bring you back to what can you own? What is it inside of you? What is it that's bringing the tension? And so there is the revelation that there has to be a little bit of a healing that happens inside of us. See, because what happens is this. When we're wrestling with these things, we have to realize the enemy will always talk to you about the other person. But the Holy Spirit wants to talk to you about you. When I stop a minute, and I want to go, the Bible says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. The enemy will always tell me where Wendy is not hitting the mark, where she's coming up short, where what she's doing is provoking what's inside of me. Now, it's not to say she is without fault or that she doesn't have things she has to work on. But can I tell you, when I stop a minute, I start listening to the Holy Spirit. You want to know what he's talking to me about? Me. It's amazing how when I'm feeling what I'm feeling when it comes to tension and conflict, it's always about the other person. But when I stop a minute and start listening to God, it's like, here's what I want to work on in you. Here's what I'm speaking to you. Here's how I want to bring healing to you. And so what happens? Why do we have this? Why do we have so much conflict? I want to give you just a context because I want us to help. I want to equip you. Help you understand. Maybe I, I kind of moments like this and even series like this, my prayer, my heart, the way I see it, it's almost like helping you connect the dots. That there's some things that you hear that's like, ah, it makes sense. Light bulbs go on. I see why this is happening. I see why I feel what I feel. And then give you some practical things. How do I path forward? How do I take God's word, apply it to my life, and begin to see transformation? Well, why do we have so much conflict in our life? Why, why is that? What, what's, the, what's the genesis of that? Why so much tension? Well, first is this, our expectations. Our expectations. Put some thoughts down here next to these expectations. I know it may be hard for you to read on the screen here, but it should be up here. maybe a little easier, but I'll read it to you as well. Just kind of a little thought and definition of, well, what do you mean by expectations? Expectations are this. We can have conflict because what we have in our relationship isn't living up to the picture I had in my mind. And so I feel constantly disappointed. You see, when I have a preconceived idea of what I think it's going to look like, then I have already bought into the fact that, look, I want this, but everything that's happening gets filtered through that preconceived idea. And all I seem to end up with is disappointment. My, 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 my family member, my spouse, my children, they're not measuring up. And so there's this picture that is there because, one, there may be unrealistic expectations, okay? But in the same hand, it may not be unrealistic. The picture you have in your mind may not be a bad, unrealistic picture, but it may be uncommunicated. And typically, conflict is the result of either an unrealistic or uncommunicated expectation. Now you go, well, how do I know if I have an expectation? 
Well, when someone doesn't do something and you're disappointed or frustrated, that's a good indicator that that was an expectation. Sometimes we don't know we had an expectation until someone didn't meet it. And like, man, why am I, why am I upset at that? Why did that bother me? Why didn't they do that? Why did they say that? Why didn't they say that? Can I tell you what that may be? It's probably an expectation. And what you now have to do is say, was that an unrealistic expectation? Or is that possibly an uncommunicated expectation? And that's why I experienced that. Here's another reason why sometimes we'll have so much conflict. Our background. Our background. We experience things in life. And when you experience things in life, there's two types of people. You either stuff it or you'll fight about it. You're just going to be like, hands up, okay? Wendy's from New Orleans. She's got a little, she got a little personality, right? A little, little, little flow, a little character, a little spunk, right, I like to say, okay? And, and Wendy, when things come up, you know, it's interesting because most normal people, like if you were hiding in that, in that room back there around that door and, and you walked in there and, and she opened that door and you jumped out and said, boo, most people would do what? Right? Scream, yell, back up, whatever. Well, do you want to know what Wendy's first instinct is? She about to throw a right hook and you better watch out because she got a tough one. You just may catch one right across the chin. That's her normal instinct. See, we all have things that we experience. There's a normal way in which we process. And here's what's ha- what happens is we don't naturally like conflict. So depending on the background, how you grew up, the things that you experienced, what happens is you don't like conflict, so you avoid it, you stay away from it. What you don't realize is by avoiding it, you're actually focusing on it. You're elevating conflict. You're elevating the issue. And by not resolving it and talking through it and elevating it, what begins to happen is it becomes the thing that you move towards. So, so conflict begins to take over. Why? Because we don't want to duplicate the mistakes that we went through growing up. You start wondering, what do, do I have what it takes to actually like, lead my family and have a healthy home and all of these things? And so our background, depending on what we experience, most of us, most people are stuffers. You're not going to like, let me just have the, like, you enjoy conflict. You're going to have the tough conversation. You're going to kind of pull back and just kind of, it'll kind of take care of itself. And it'll resolve it. It doesn't resolve itself. It only gets worse. It only magnifies. And then it explodes. So sometimes we have conflict because of our background. Sometimes we have conflict because of different priorities. We have different priorities. We have things that are different and important to us. At some point, though, you have to come to an understanding of where the other person is coming from. You got to recognize where is this person coming from? My spouse, my child, my parent. It could be conflict you have with your parents. You're like, man, I'm a grown adult. I have my own kids. Why does my mom and dad, why do they keep interacting with me in this way and at this level? Well, here's the thing it can feel like maybe if you're married, here's the thought if it feels like my spouse doesn't care about the things that are really important to me, how do I make them care? Like, how do I help them get it? Can I tell you? Communication. There's a season in Wendy and I in our marriage. I'd come home, and she had three little ones under the age of five at home. And can I tell you, if you have three little ones under the age of five, do you know what the house looks like when you get home? It looks like you're a CIA agent that had a secret jump drive somewhere, and someone broke into your home and turned everything upside down trying to find it. Cushions everywhere, toys everywhere. It's like ransacked, okay? That's what the house looks like when you have three little ones under the age of five, okay? I know some of you are like, man, we're about to have another kid. That's what I have to look forward to? Yes, it does. God bless you. I just, you're here for hope and encouragement this morning. <laughs> so I get home, and you know what I do? Well, I see a mess. I start picking things up. 
I see dishes in the sink. I start putting dishes away. Then the kids, we kind of get them down for bed. Wendy's a little, little, I can tell. You know how you can tell when you're about a little frustrated, a little cold shoulder touch? You know, it's kind of like, you know, it's either like they're burning a hole through the side of your head with their eyes because you did something, or it's freezing and you need a blanket, okay? You're like, what's happening? And so, I'm like, babes, everything all right? I just feel, I just wish you would just help me. Can you just help me? I'm like, do what? Like, I feel like you don't help me. Like, I literally came home. I picked up the mess that was in here. I put dishes away. I cleaned up after dinner. I don't. She was like, can I tell you what will help me? Is if you would walk in and just say, what can I do to help? I was like, what? She's like, if you'd ask me when you walk in, what can I do to help? Because today I may need you to pick up the mess, but tomorrow I may need you to, to do the dishes. The next day, I may need you to come home and go, can you take the kids to the park? Because I need a quiet moment, like with my own thoughts for at least like 15 minutes, okay, without kiddos pulling on. Okay. That helped me tremendously because what I was trying to do was help, but I wasn't actually helping her. Why? Because we have different priorities. Well, how do you discover those things? Ask good questions. If you would just use that phrase, I'm telling you, that, that will help you so much in your marriage. When you walk in one day. Ask your spouse, what can I do to help? And that'll transform everything because that's where the frustration comes. Husbands are coming home thinking they're helping. Wives are frustrated because the husband isn't helping. Then the wife tells the husband that. Then the husband's like, what are you talking about? I've been doing X, Y. Different priorities results in conflict. Here's another reason, another, another reason why sometimes we have conflict. It's our pain. It's our pain. We, we have a hard enough time living life, but can I tell you, when you get blindsided by something out of the ordinary, unexpected, the pressure is on. And here's what you have to realize about pressure. Whatever's inside is going to come out. It's just when that pressure's on, it's going to come out of you. So sometimes pain, unexpected pain, blindsided by burdens and challenges, it's going to result in conflict. And then the last is this, our fear of rejection. Our top fear is rejection. No one wants to be rejected. Every time I try to have a hard conversation, it doesn't go the way I thought. So you feel rejected. You feel like you're not heard. You feel like they don't understand where I'm coming from. So what does that result in? I'm not going to bring anything else up. I'm not going to keep talking about this. And so it's just conflict. conflict, And you don't resolve it, and it just continues to grow. So what do we do? I want to give you the context of what we're looking at, but I want to give you hope as well. I'm going to give you some practical things in here in just a minute. But let's look at James chapter 3. We read James chapter 4. James was the half-brother of Jesus. You want to talk about pressure? You want to talk about expectations? Try living up to that like, well, if you would just do what Jesus is like, come on, Mom, really? Like, he's literally perfect. Like, you're going to hold me up to that standard? Come on. Like, if any of you have sibling rivalries, try having a sibling rivalry, Right? With the Son of God, he is actually perfect, like, all right, so James, but James became a significant individual in the New Testament, and what he read, or what he wrote, and how it impacted the church, and here's what he says when talking about conflict, and tension, and challenges that we have in relationships, James chapter 3, starting in verse 13, it says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. What is wisdom? Well, biblical truth is good, and we need biblical truth. Biblical truth, truth at the end of the day is always truth. But what is wisdom? It's applied truth. 
If, if you want to grow, here he is. James is saying, look, this good life, this fruit, these deeds that you're going to see come out of your life, it's a byproduct of wisdom. What is wisdom? It's applied truth. This is also the same individual who said, don't just be a hearer of the word, but actually do it, right? If you're kind of an individual like, I like a good workout, just feels so good, just kind of tough and hard. Like, read the book of James. James doesn't pull any punches. He's going to let you know how it is. He kind of cuts straight to the chase. And he's going to let you know how it is. And so what he's saying is, look, it's not just the wisdom. I mean, it's not just the truth. It's applied. And it results in wisdom. Verse 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. I mean, that's some strong language there that he's using. He's saying if you harbor bitterness, if you're taught, when you bring a boat into harbor, what do you do? You tie it to the dock. You've got things that you've experienced in life. Some your spouse has been a part of and done. Some you experienced growing up, uh, previous relationships or parents did to you. You didn't ask for it. It was wrong. It wasn't good. It was unhealthy. But you're harboring, you're still tied to those things. And you wonder, why do I have conflict? That's the byproduct of it. And can I tell you just a side note? Time doesn't heal all. Some of you think, well, it was a long time ago. I just put it back there. I just don't think. You're deceived. You're deceived. And the enemy is the father of lies. He's got you to buy into the fact that time heals all things. No, you know what heals all things? Addressing it heals all things. Jesus heals all things. The work of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's hard, though. Because even now, as you're growing in your relationship with God, that means things are starting to come up. And you're like, oh, I don't, I don't want to relive that. I don't want to deal with that. I thought I was over that. No, you never were over that. It was always there. Harbored. Tied to. And wondering, why do I keep coming back to this issue? Because God's highlighting it, bringing it up so you can experience healing in it. Verse 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. I mean, he's telling you right here. If you keep finding you're going back to this place, disorder, there's conflict, there's arguments, there's this frustration. There could be something that you're harboring in your heart, in your soul, that God wants to bring healing to. And you bump along and you do, your, you do a good job marginalizing it, kind of keeping it far away. But all it takes is one instant, one moment, one conversation, one scenario that's familiar. And you know what it does? It comes flooding back in. But here's what he says, verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Let me ask you this. In the way that you're resolving conflict in your relationships, do you have good fruit or bad? That's a good indicator to help you know, how am I handling this in my life? How am I addressing this issue? How am I fighting for unity? Can I tell you one of the greatest ways to guard your family, your marriage, and your children? Fight for unity. Oneness. Not fight to be right. Not fight to make the other person understand where you're coming from. Not fight to win the battle. Not, not, not fight to always defend yourself. Some of you, trust me, and Wendy and I have talked about this openly. When you experience challenging things, some of you have. When you experience challenging things in life and then in previous relationships, you create a survival mentality. When you take any wounded individual, 
or just take the context. If you've been any around anyone who does uh, anything with animals or veterinarians or zoologists, they'll say a wounded animal is what? It's the most dangerous. Why? Because it'll feel back in a corner and it'll do anything it takes to survive. It'll even attack those in its own family. Can I tell you what some of us are doing? We have a survival mentality because of the things we've experienced in life. God loves you. He sees you. He wants to bring healing to that. But until you receive that healing, you're going to continue to feel backed in a corner, and you're going to lash out on anyone and everyone that comes your way. Sometimes they were some of the people that inflicted some of that pain, but sometimes they weren't. But God wants to bring healing to that. He says you can be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper, a peacemaker. That means you have honest conversations. You, you want to honor somebody? Be honest with them. Honesty is honor. Now, it's truth in love, right? You can say the right thing, but say it the wrong way. Sometimes that's some of our challenges. We see it and we say it, but we don't say it in a healthy way that helps people understand what we're trying to say. And so what God is saying here and what James is writing here is that you can be a peacemaker. It's not a peacekeeper. You can fight for unity. You can have the conversation. You can honor one another. We should honor one another. We need to use our words and we need to operate in that way because when we do, it allows us to address the tension and the conflict and move forward. Here's what I want, as I, as I think about what James is saying, here's what I would say in summation to what James is saying. He's saying this, this is what he's telling us, that the quality of your life, your marriage, your family, your relationships, it's dependent upon your ability to resolve conflict in your relationships. Resolve conflict in your relationships. Not just simply resolve conflict in your life. The quality of your life will be determined on how you resolve conflict in your relationships. You want to know why that's important? I didn't put life there. I put relationships there because some of you, you can win in other areas of your life. You're killing it in other areas of your life, in fact. But it's your relationships that are potentially suffering. And it never fails. Everyone I talk to that is extremely successful in areas of their life that others will look at and say, they've got it all figured out. They would say, hands down, they would trade success in that area for success in the relationships that matter most to them. I believe you can have both. But the quality of your life is going to be determined how you resolve those conflicts in your relationship. Not just simply in your life. Because what, what can happen is, and I was having a conversation with someone the other day. They're realizing, even in their season of life, they're my age. They've lived a long time. They've lived a long time serving the Lord. And here's what they realize. They're like, my default is to go... Okay, fine. I don't need you. Move on. I could literally never talk to you another day in my life and be fine. I can love my family. I can love Jesus. I can do his work and literally never talk to you again in my life. But they realize that's not healthy or right. I'm not resolving conflict in a healthy way. It's a survival mentality. So what do we do? How, how can we relieve tension in our home? How do we do that? I want to give you some just very simple, practical things. I want to give you some tools right, that you can actually use at home with your kids, with your family, with your parents, with your spouse, with your siblings even possibly, that's going to help you. Here's the first thing. Here's how we relieve tension in the home. I want you, I want you to write this scripture down, Romans 12, 18, because this is so significant. This is going to help you. Let this be something you memorize, something you pray, something that you just circle in your Bible. If it is possible, which means, guess what? It's possible. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
What's the focus? It depends on you. Well, but, but, but Pastor Kurt, what about my... No, 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 no. As far as it depends on you. Now, if each person will do that. Well, I'm doing that, but they're not. Okay, well, well. it starts within you. Start there. Start there. So when you begin to do that, here's what happens. Very practical. Here's the first thing I want to encourage you to do. Practical steps that we can take. Start with trust over suspicion. Let me tell you, if you've been hurt in life, you start the opposite. I'm, I'm extending suspicion over trust, hands down, out of the box. <laughs> start with trust over suspicion. Don't start with, look what they have done to me. Start with, look at what Jesus has done for me. I'm grateful. God, thank you for the way you've worked in my life and what you're doing. I'm going to extend trust over suspicion. Jesus doesn't just give the choice to forgive. He actually expects it. You, you can actually admit the fact, you know what, I actually can be wrong. Have you ever thought that thought? Like you actually could be wrong. I know that's a novel revelation for some of you. I know it was for me. You know, I, I, I often thought, you know, well, you know, yes, periodically wrong, but never in doubt. I mean, you, you would hear me, and by the way I'd come across, and what I'm saying, you're like, he must be right. I just, I was, I was not in doubt, but the truth was, I was still wrong. If you would just go, you know what, I, I actually could be wrong. You actually could be right. I'm going to extend trust over suspicion. You begin to walk through things. You begin to, as I was saying earlier, you experience healing and wholeness in your life. Because what happens is it becomes a byproduct in how we see things. And when we start working through pain and extending forgiveness and dealing with the wounds, here's what can happen. Conflict, when handled and resolved correctly, can actually lead to a greater measure of intimacy. Now, let that be hope for some of you, because some of you are like, man, Pastor Chris, that's so encouraging, because we've got a lot of conflict. Um, then you have the, if you have a lot of conflict in your relationships and marriage right now, can I tell you, you got hope for a whole lot of intimacy, okay? It's like God just bringing you closer, but you have to resolve it in a healthy way. And one of the ways you do that is I'm going to extend trust over suspicion. Trust over suspicion. See, when you start with trust, it begins to build a bridge towards health and communication. Here's the second thing. Stop speaking for other family members. Stop speaking for other family. All right, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Stop speaking for other family. I'll give you an example. When you start assigning motive, you always, you never, okay? You ever had those words come out of your mouth? I know I have. You're assigning motive. You start speaking for other people. Or, or maybe you do that. You just had your buttons pushed so much and you, 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 you just go deep in the bag of fighting unfair and you pull out the, you're just like your mom. Don't ever say that one. I mean, I've never done that, but I mean, it won't go well for you. You're just like your dad, okay? You start speaking for one another. You start going down that road, you're going to escalate conflict. You're going to escalate challenges. And what begins to happen is this. We don't realize that what happens is we've grown up in a context that perhaps we grew up in an environment that wasn't normal. There was a season where when I was in our Keller staff at our, at our Keller campus, we had a big uh, commons area. And there was a massive play zone. This was pre-COVID. And so twice during the week, when I was over, uh, when I was over uh, our next gen, 
our kids here, we opened up the play zone for a span of time for, for families to come and moms and dads to come bring their kids. And I mean, it was loud, right? So it's like Urban Air, Chuck E. Cheese, all in one. Kids are, I mean, families are bringing like Chick-fil-A in, having lunch, posted up. We had a big old conference table down there in the cafe and I would work down there every day. Like I'd work down there. And I'm sitting there, I'm just working. And people would come down like, Pastor Chris, how do you work in here? Like, it's so loud. I'm like, I got three kids, seven and younger. This is normal to me. You just kind of tune it out, right? You see, whatever environment you're in and you're a part of, can I tell you, you become acclimated to. You don't even realize it. Some of you, you grew up in an environment that was unhealthy and dysfunctional. And you don't realize you have allowed that to become normal to you. So then you bring that into a home. And you've got two people that come from two completely different backgrounds coming in, pursuing oneness. But what happens is you brought something in and you think it's normal because it's the environment you were brought up in. But it's not normal. Some of you, it's like, that's why all those people that were telling me, they were out of the stage of their kids being loud. They're like teenagers, which means they never heard anything because their kids had earphones in. And they're listening to their music and they're quiet and they're just, you know what I mean? So any amount of noise was like throwing them off. You see, you have to realize, I'm not going to speak for the other person. I have to recognize God's doing something inside of me. He wants to show me. Because when I do that, here's the third thing. It helps others feel heard and valued. This makes conflict so much easier because it builds trust. We We have to hear. Leadership is not what you say. It's what they hear. So when you're having a conversation, here's what I would encourage you to do. When you're listening to your spouse, you're listening to your child, you're talking to a parent, just use this phrase, what I hear you saying is. And you're going to get back, that's exactly what I'm saying. They're like, no, that's not at all what I'm saying. Okay, help me understand. What is it? And then you keep having a dialogue so that you walk away. Can I tell you, when you do that, you extend value to people. And it will resolve conflict and tension in your home. Because now your spouse, your children, your teenagers, your parents, they feel like I'm being heard. I'm being heard. I I have a relationship that, that now is moving forward and progressing forward. And then here's the last thing I'd encourage you to do if you want to ease tension in the home. This is going to be very unnatural for some of you and extremely hard. Give at least one encouragement every day. Some of you are words people. Like that's natural. You're like, you're awesome. I love you. You're amazing. You're great. All right. And you mean it. Like that's you. That's your flow. Some of you, you're like, uh, mm, no. Mm, yeah. I mean, how many times I'll have, con- I'll have conversations with married couples and they're like, I wish you would just tell me X, Y, and Z. They're like, I think it. I just don't ever say it. And that spouse is wishing you would just say something. Your child wishing you would say something. Can I tell you, honor is only honor when it's shown in word or in deed. Give an encouraging word to someone. Write them a text. Tell them something. Can I tell you one of the things I started doing from the time the kids were little? All the time I tell my girl, and it changes every year. Camden, I have an 11, 9, 7-year-old. Every morning I tell them, who's my favorite 9-year-old? Now, when they, cha- when they have a birthday, now it changes, you know, and I'll play with them. You know, now they're 10. I'll be like, who's my favorite 9-year-old? like, Daddy. All right, who's my favorite 10-year-old? What am I telling them? I love you. You're my favorite. I'll, I'll tell them, I'm so grateful you're my daughter. I'm so grateful God gave you to me because I want them to know it's not about what they do. It's about who they are. 
It's just a little word of encouragement that speaks life. Do that with your spouse. Little text messages and conversations or words that you say, phrases that you have. Can I tell you what begins to happen is God uses that in such a significant way to ease tension. For some of you, there's a lot of conflict and tension in your relationships right now with your spouse, with your kids, perhaps with your parents, loved ones. But I want to give you hope. Jesus reconciles relationships. He reconciles them. Now, some of you, there's reconciliation that needs to happen with family members and loved ones. But it, in reconciling, it doesn't mean there's restoration. Here's what I mean by that. You may have a loved one that really hurts you and you're able to reconcile that information or that relationship. But you know what? It may not be restored to the place where it's like you just hang out with that family member all the time. It doesn't have to look like it used to look because that, that family member really hurt you. But you can still have reconciliation because that's what Jesus does. He brings reconciliation to you. And when there's reconciliation between you and someone else, it opens the door first and foremost for you to have reconciliation with God. Here's what Colossians says, Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. It says, and through him, he reconciles to himself all things. That's how God works. He brings reconciliation. It's who he is.